Welcome to the weekend must watch on Intercut, where we wade our way through the weekend theaters, streaming and on demand. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. It's Arturo Zurita. Someone will be like, why are these boys quoting <laughs> Papa Roach during this week in movies? But it, it will come into play. We have a, yeah. a pretty weak week in uh, a pretty weak week in movies this week, but uh, yeah. it is the second week of the Marvel train that's out. Um, mm-hmm. But it is the buildup to what's going to be some really good stuff that's coming up. But uh, nonetheless, I think TV was the uh, bigger winner this week. Yeah, definitely. A lot of good TV still going on. Uh, Not a whole lot to watch in theaters unless you've been waiting, I guess, to to catch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Theaters basically cleared the way again for Marvel, and the pickings were even slimmer than last week, I feel like, uh, unless you haven't had a chance to catch a couple movies that we talked about back at Sundance. But for us who are trying to catch up with whatever... Peacock or Netflix or the different streamers have for us. It it was definitely not the best week in new releases. Why don't we get right into it with what we are watching and talk a little bit about Firestarter, the Peacock and theatrical simultaneous release about a girl with extraordinary pyrokinetic powers fighting to protect her family from sinister forces This one is based on the Stephen King story, and it also has a 1984 version starring Drew Barrymore. Have you caught the original Firestarter? They they had just put the original Firestarter on Peacock, so I went back and I caught that one. And they even have Firestarter 2. That's technically a TV miniseries. It's like a two-parter that's called Rekindled or something like that that kind of follows her character when she's older. Uh, Watching the original, which I think is better than the new one. It's also really weird because <laughs> poor Drew Barrymore, she's such a tiny little girl. And she doesn't know what's going on with everything behind the scenes and whatnot. But I thought it was, I don't know, there's just some creepy moments in that movie. But uh, I did respect the hell out of the practical effects because they're not just, you know, it's not just a runaway story of the you know father trying to protect the daughter because they fe- he feels the government's going to take her away uh, to experiment on her. But because she has these firepowers, like, you know, you can see the wires because of how old it is, but it was really cool seeing, you know, the fireballs go that way and uh, uh, all, all the practicals and the pyrotechnics that they did for everybody. So that's where I think that even with it being from the eighties, it's going to hold up better than what this new one is. So I'm wondering, especially since you caught the original, I didn't want to bother. Like, you know, sometimes I will do the research if it's for a movie I'm excited about or or I find interesting. But this one kind of seemed a little bit like it was dead on arrival anyway, so I didn't bother. Uh, But having seen the original, does it do a better job of balancing the tones? Because I felt like with this new one, they couldn't really figure out whether they wanted to be this kind of like action thriller you mentioned the whole runaway angle that we've i think we've seen other films like even like a midnight special kind of do a similar premise Mm -hmm. or uh does the other one lean more into the horror which i don't think you get a whole lot of in firestarter except for kind of at the end the story is completely uh chopped up to pieces a lot of stuff is are combined uh the ending is really weird what they do with the character of rainbird uh, if you know who the one who's like hunting her down to begin with and however that ends in this new one, which I found to be extremely dumb 
that is not how it's played off in the original. And I don't even know how it's played off in the book. Um, but there is a, a completely different relationship between uh, the little girl's character and Rainbird's character. That just got completely chopped to bits. There is more of a cohesive tone in terms of seeing the experiments that were done on the parents. So you get to kind of see like, oh, this is where they met. There's this whole like shop aesthetic going on. This movie decides now, why do you want to see the experiments? We'll have that play during like the title cards. And then they focus on like the uh, new person who's in charge and that lady who's going around talking to uh, the doctor uh, played by Rudd, which I did not find interesting. I don't know if you felt the same way where it felt like they were trying to do some commentary. Look at me. I am the new woman who's taking in charge of this. And the guy's like, ah, it's just this different person in the same suit. And I was like, yeah, but what are you saying about this? Because you guys have repeated this line three different times when this woman appears. Yeah. And it leads to nowhere. It also feels like a part one. Do a little research. They want to make a, a, a spinoff, maybe a prequel, of maybe course, a series covering all that stuff. And I'm like, come on, dude. You can't leave dude. that IP to rot on the vine. If you can't even trust it to do well in theaters, that you got to put it on the same day as Peacock, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to do any, any better when it comes to sequels. I don't think the performances were great. Uh, the effects were okay. Um, but yeah, it, the cast does not bring together a story that has you, one, invested in the characters, or two, actually feeling any thrills or excitement, in my opinion. I don't think it was terrible like a lot of people think it is, but sometimes it's worse than terrible. It's just bland. Yeah, I mean, I, I really kind of thought this was a misfire. I mean, you know, eh. it's not like, it, it's not necessarily like the most offensively bad movie I've ever seen. It just kind of is such a half-cocked effort in so many ways. It feels like not really, like they they had an idea for what might be cool and then they just sort of went with it in turn of, instead of actually trying to make it cool, instead of actually developing some kind of interesting dynamic between the uh, father and daughter or developing like an actual interesting you know, uh, government force trying to stop them. It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, this. you've seen a movie like this. It'll feel right. And it just, just doesn't ever really hit the right balance between things. I thought Zac Efron is completely miscast here. Like, not just because he's playing a dad, and I'm personally not ready to see Troy play a dad. But You don't like him as daddy? I, I think... I think he also is just sort of missing this kind of like gruff quality that might be that that's better suited for something like this. Like he just doesn't he doesn't authentically portray a guy whose entire life has been spent in hiding, no. being afraid to show who he is. My you know man was mean? nice and clean the entire runaway. <laughs> And no yeah. point that he not look not chiseled. Yeah, it, you, you did not feel the distress at all. Yeah, you know, and I like Efron as an actor, but I just don't don't think this is what he's suited for. And it just doesn't, it doesn't ever really land. It doesn't ever really feel authentic. You know, shouts to Michael Grayus, who is showing up in a lot of places now. I feel like we've seen him all over in the past, like, two <sighs> years between Wild Indian, Rutherford Falls, Reservation Dogs. He's he, here, too. He's, uh, he's solid here, given, like, not a whole lot to do. But uh, I, I am enjoying seeing him continue to get work. Well, that was a big push. They said he was the first Native American to play Rainbird because in the original it was uh, whoever played Patton, George C. Scott, I think. And then in the miniseries it was somebody else. So then they finally gave it to him and then they just butchered the character. <laughs> they got the representation, but they forgot the part where you got to represent for a good movie. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, exactly. Too bad for Firestarter. 
Yeah. Anoki uh, is asking, how would you compare the child performances? You know, not not always easy to step Ooh. into the shoes of a legend like Drew Barrymore, uh, but Ryan Kira Armstrong, did, did you like her here? I thought it was kind of flat, to be honest. She is. She doesn't, they don't allow her to do much, but she's definitely playing more on that thriller aspect of like, if, am I going to go full crazy? Because they repeat that so many times. Is she going to be this Phoenix Force power? In the original, Drew Barrymore is playing on a bunch of different emotions. She's like, where's mom? Like, why are we running? Are you supposed to be doing that, dad? Oh, is it cute to do this? I'm telling you, there's this whole other point where she's just having like a sleepover party with, I don't want to get into spoilers, but with a character for like a, a, a chunk of the movie. So she gets to play with a lot more emotion. She gets to be a lot more adorable. Whereas here, they were kind of almost like treating her like a, a, a soldier, a very, uh, someone who may not be able to control her powers. And even in then, it was kind of not that easy to... Get in, get in sync with her, but if you're interested, I would one recommend only watch these on streaming. And if you're already going to be on streaming, then just catch the first one to get the gist of the story. Yeah, so the first one in 1984 made, I think it was like a little over four million dollars in its opening weekend to the box office. Not like a huge hit, uh, but still more than this one made. This one four bucks? only made like three point five. <laughs> like three dollars. <laughs> three dollars and a quarter. Um, so definitely not uh, the kind of hit that would merit like tons of spinoffs and sequels the way that maybe Universal is hoping for. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a non-starter, fire starter, I guess. Uh, but we'll move on to a couple other theatrical releases that we have previously talked about on Intercut. Although now, hopefully, more audience have, audiences have had a chance to see them. Uh, they are on the count of three, directed by. Uh, Gerard Carmichael Ooh. of Nathaniel Frame and also starring Christopher Abbott as well as Pleasure from Ninja Thyberg. These are both films that first were screened at Sundance 2020 finally are out in theaters. Uh, Art, you pointed out something to me before we started recording in that even though they're oh, look both at that. films that are pretty strong oh. in terms of their critic scores, Interesting. audience scores are a bit lower 89 uh, to 55% on Pleasure and for On the Count of Three, it's 84% for critics and only 70% for audiences. I wonder now that uh, more people have hopefully had a chance to see these movies, why you think they might not be doing as well with regular audiences as they were with critics. Because uh, one's about porn, one's about suicide. But I will say when I told you about this, it was uh, off of the Saturday reviews. And it had a On the Count of Three sitting at an 80-50, very similar to what Pleasure was sitting at. So... I'm really happy that it went up a little bit more. 70's comfortable. I like that. That's good. Yeah. But originally, when I was seeing a lot of people, they were like, why am I watching this depressed movie? I'm like, I don't know. Why did you, you click on the depressed movie? Like, we're, we're in the day and age where, like, you get to pick what you want yeah. to see. Uh, and even more than that, I think the trailer really sets the tone. Uh, the stills very much, sorry, set the mm -hmm. tone. Um, and this was one where I felt that, uh, I don't know, like, people were watching and reviewing something that wasn't meant for them. You know, I always have this idea of, like, people enter a a sushi shop getting mad that they're not getting a burger. And that's a really weird way to review things. Uh, so it's really mm -hmm. cool to see that it's going up. This is also one that's available on VOD. So if you don't have the chance to go see it in a theater, which I would recommend, it's just mostly indie theaters. Um, do yourself a favor, check it out if it intrigues you. Shout out to Carmichael. The Carmichael show was trending on Voodoo Bro and on Apple. Yeah. That was crazy to see as well. Uh, it, it's a movie about, you know, self-harm yeah but other than that 
I, I think he does a really good job with his directorial debut. I think he has a very interesting eye in the way he uh, observes and follows his characters. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say definitely keep that one on your radar. For pleasure, again, it is a movie about the porn industry. It is a movie that A24 picked up and said, can we can we clean it up? They said, absolutely not. <laughs> Neon took it, ran with it being NC-17. Um, watching a theater, I'd be so curious to watch it in a theater. We never got the chance to watch this one in a the theater. Um, mm-hmm. But you and I did catch Mope, a movie that also had to do about sex workers. So many years ago, we had the whole group go watch that one. I remember Chase really wanted to see that. This is what we all thought like Mope was going to be to a degree in terms of the way that it handled uh, this industry. This one makes sense. The 55% makes complete sense. I understand why people would go into this and have um, the reservations for it. But yeah, even on the count of three has a little bit of kind of like a silver lining and a little bit of solace. I think pleasure is a lot more rough from start to finish. And particularly, I think the kind of person who might be inclined to watch a movie about the porn industry, somebody who might be like titillated by the concept of it, might be in for a little bit of whiplash considering that it it shows you some really negative sides to the industry. Not that I think it's like a a movie that is against sex work or something like that. It's just, it's showing you a more complete picture of what someone might experience. And it's not gonna be the kind of thing that's gonna reward you know, a casual watch. It's going to reward more so people who are are ready for that kind of experience. And I think critics tend to go into that kind of experience a little more open-minded than the casual audience who is usually more so looking for did this entertain me than was I, was I moved? Was I stimulated? Like you, I think, you know, the audience score, it's just so open to even like the, the biggest troll or, or, or like, bad faith arguer yeah. that you don't you don't select for the people who aren't meeting the films halfway. Mm-hmm. I'm I don't want to ask this question, but I feel we're in this era now. Yeah. When these come out on streaming, Zach, where do you think these would do the best? Um You know you know, you know we can't get pleasure on Hulu because you already saw what they did with the the, the banging loony one. <laughs> Oh, that was yep, terrible. Yep. I tried to put that on the other day. I was like, let me try to catch up on this. We were like, what's going on? The whole thing is just censored. Very funny censors, by the yeah. way. It's it, very funny. But very funny. That gives you a, a completely different experience. Of the that whole movie. movie will be um, black at that point for pleasure. Yeah, you can't do I mean, that. That's can't the do thing. that. It's, it's whoever is like willing to stream a movie like this at this point. Netflix. This would probably be <laughs> the... Is it, I mean, you, you've seen 365 Days. I haven't. But this feels way harsher than anything that... It is. Was in three, it's way um, harsher. The big, yeah, the bigger question... I mean, on the count of three, I could see actually doing well on the Netflix or maybe even, you know, on HBO because they can pair that Ooh. with Nathaniel. Um, but, you know... I just I don't I'm wondering who will even stream something like Pleasure like or do we have to wait for do the Criterion to pick that up or something? Maybe movie, maybe Shutter maybe. I don't P- know if it's a typical Shutter movie. But PBS. Yeah, definitely a POV movie for sure. Um, but yeah, a uh, lot of interesting stuff. Hopefully you've had a chance to see some of those movies in theaters. Let let us know if you did get to see them. Uh, speaking of streaming options, let's talk about Netflix and their latest film, the comedy Senior Year, about a 37-year-old woman who wakes up from a 20-year coma and returns to the high school where she was once a cheer captain on ho- in hopes of becoming 
the prom queen. Of course, this is the latest Rebel Wilson comedy. Uh, Rebel Wilson, who's kind of formed into one of the bigger comedy stars out there. Although I, I don't know if she's had necessarily like a, a huge comedy hit to, to her name yet. Um, comedies in general are hard to review because I think so much of it comes down to just like whether or not you found something funny. Uh, but I think we'd both agree that this probably wasn't good. Although I'm curious if you think this was like just a regular miss or a true disaster of a comedy. I loved it, Zach. <laughs> yeah? This is, uh, <laughs> lending up on your top ten of the year? Sheesh. Did you, did you now, son? Um... It is a mess. I am not saying it is a coherent yeah. movie. This is exactly what I meant when I said, yo, this 80s stuff that we continue to reference, it's not funny or great just because y'all were raised in the 80s and now you guys are screenwriters. We are now in the period where it's the 90s and early 2000s time. That mm. is our generation. I am mm. still saying it is not funny. It does not make your movie good when you just stop the entire thing to do a routine. Come on now. Half the movie yeah. feels like a trailer. It's cut up like a trailer. And then the other half is like, no, you want to see the whole routine. Rebel Wilson, she's practiced this entire thing. Uh, the premise of her uh, spending the first 30 minutes as Angry Rice, who I think is a fantastic actress, and then going through an incident in order for her to have been in a coma and then wake up. I did not know this. All I knew it was they were doing a 17 again. Yeah. Rebel Wilson ends up finishing her senior year because she was never able to finish it and thus it's a way for... Oh, how do I put this back? So it's a way for Rebel Real, it's a way for Rebel Wilson now to be like, man, if now I could be back in my senior year, I wonder how me now would do that. And I'm like, what a stretched out plot device for you to be able to relieve, uh, relive your senior year the way you want to live it. I do think that there were some jokes that were pretty funny. I thought her dad yeah. was hilarious. Anytime her dad came in, would just be like, what are you doing? Uh, he got me. There was a couple of quips within some of the French uh, friend characters that I thought worked. But yeah, mm -hmm. it, if the whole story already feels like her trying to like flex on her haters type thing, like look at me now, the whole movie's so, edited that way too to just be like, this was something I loved from my past. Now you guys have to sit with it. For an entire sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, a lot of it relies on the nostalgia charm that is just a little bit thin. Like, yeah, it, it's nice to hear the songs that I haven't heard in like 15 years. But at a, at a certain point, it's just like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I remember that too. And, and there's not like a plot that you care about supporting all of these references. Like, you want to you wanna actually be a little bit invested in the story. I think what ultimately my problem here is... And this is a problem that I maybe, like, would extend to Rebel Wilson. Somebody who I don't want to, like, pick on, because I think a lot of people are unnecessarily mean mean to her. Uh, but I, I do find, like... She mean to other she, people. She's had this problem in a couple of her more recent films in that she, she kind of, like, tries too hard to do these likable characters when the funniest things she does are kind of unlikable bits. There's a little yeah. moment in, in when she's coming home from the hospital in this movie where they're telling her what words you can't say anymore because they are now considered offensive. And and her in that she's funny in that moment. Cause she's like just genuinely being a you know offensive and not really caring about it. But like I think when you play into that the way that, you know, she does kind of in Bridesmaids, she does kind of in Jojo Rabbit, like being a little bit more unlikable, 
it, it might make you like her more. And I think yeah. that actually would have been a better comedy about this woman who is from the past and is not up on social norms and is probably a, a little bit offensive, but they come to like her in the end. And instead, it's about, like, how cool is Rebel Wilson? Look at Rebel Wilson be so cool. And, and that's just, like... Yeah. I don't know anybody who wants to watch that movie. It's lame. It was too self-referential uh, to all of her likes, and I felt that by the end of it, yeah, it doesn't come together, which sucks because I can't recommend the movie. But, bro, that movie theater scene had me dying when uh, they come to check up on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's in Facebook? They were both just in um, uh, the Apple show where they're doing the whole, like, murder mystery thing. Yeah, Zoe Chow, and I forget the guy's name. Is that Justin Hartley? No, no, no. Well, yeah, Justin Hartley, but I'm talking about uh, who she's dating. Sam. Oh, uh, Sam Richardson, yeah. So they were both just playing off of each other because they were a yeah. couple in the other show. So to see them here, I'm like, damn, all right, I know that they've got chemistry with each other. So I liked seeing their banter. I know that they have people who are able to riff off of each other well. And I, uh, I kind of feel like we would have a lot of funnier jokes in the outtakes than what actually ended up fitting the narrative of the movie. Because these are people who I know can bring their A-game to stuff, uh, which is why I would only recommend it for certain sequences, but not for the whole thing as a whole. But, hey, it's streaming, and it was Netflix's biggest release of the week. Yeah, a lot of people watched it, so I guess that, that works for Netflix, and whether or not people are enjoyed it is a whole other issue. Did you like her last one? Uh, isn't it Romantic, I think? It was like the last one she released one. in theaters. I'm curious your thoughts on that one. I skipped that one. Because yeah, I felt that... I should I, get around to it, because it's an interesting premise, at least. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about Our Father at all. I mentioned it briefly last week. I know you got to catch a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, in the top ten movies of the past weekend for Netflix. So it's obviously getting watched a lot. I mean, my my thoughts last week still stand in that it, it's obviously a really interesting story. And I, I think people who are looking for that kind of, like, true crime fix are, are going to eat this one up as they have been but I don't like how it was presented I think it is exploitative in the way that it frames a lot of this stuff and I also just really am bothered by these fictional recreations of traumatic events that try to fill in the gaps for you in a way that feels inauthentic and and just gross to me honestly Um, so I don't know it's hard to review a documentary like this you know I've been saying this about Netflix for the longest time, and that's when Ted came out and said, we don't make documentaries to be documentaries. We're making entertainment pieces. And that's how I judge every single Netflix show. Product, really. When this came out, you know that you're just getting Netflix's take on this story to exploit. I I think you're right. If you go over to HBO, they have a version called Baby God. I want to say this is a doc that's split into two. Of a similar story that's still a different person. This is an in, this, this is something the that has industry. happened to so many people, yeah. And there are so many different stories for it. And what sucks the most is that, like, all I see is Netflix producers going like, all right, all right, where's our version of it? Can you go find the other doctor who did it? Mm-hmm. All right, good, get him. And now we have our version because some people haven't been on HBO, so they haven't seen Baby God or they haven't seen the Hulu special. We have our version on Netflix. It's in the top 10. We're going to send you an email about it. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it crazy that these women uh, were inseminated? Not as crazy as it was hitting number one on the charts. I mean, look at the Abercrombie one. They they trend for like a day and then disappear. 
which is a bigger issue for how they're releasing these types of stories where it's really just a flash in the pan. It's just like a, a, a YouTube video writing on the trends of uh, something that they can get an emotional reaction from people. And I guess, I don't know how you feel about if at least people are informed. Is it important? Maybe some people don't know about this and this is their way to learn it. But I know that you, like me, are like, yeah, but that does not excuse the exploitation that they're doing by being able to have a story like this that can get them clicks. The other thing is like, the other thing is that I just don't know how much people are really getting informed by something like this, right? Like they're getting entertained really, in a weird way. Yeah, like how how much more do you feel like you know than if you had just read the headline? Like I, I read these headlines when they came across on Twitter. It's like, oh yeah, I, this is a really awful thing, and but I now I know it exists in the world, and all I know now is that like it was traumatic for the people who I could have guessed it was traumatic for i don't know i it, i i definitely question the purpose of of uh some of these ones i mean it, i think there's maybe a different angle to take in that uh talking about the way the ways in which certain institutions could allow things like this to happen uh or or you know how you get around certain um how you get around scrutiny but i don't think these docs or at least our father I, I don't know about baby god but I, I don't think our father was really doing that i think it was more beat by beat of how these people felt which is like i don't, I don't know man it's Weird. just not i don't i don't see the value in it you recommend delivery man starring vince vaughn exactly. <laughs> might, might as well turn it into a fun comedy <laughs> i don't know man uh you All had right, a very interesting about, one here yeah yeah let's talk about something i liked a little bit more uh, Spring Awakening, those you've known, it is a new documentary on HBO Max. I think it may be maybe an HBO original. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's uh, the full service or just the Max, but either way, it, it's something that I enjoyed a lot. Now, I, I sort of have like two sort of competing ideas about this. I, I want to talk about Spring Awakening, the musical first, because it, it's probably not something that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. You caught I don't it? I think it gets performed that much. Yeah, I caught it way back in, I want to say 2007. Uh, with Lima so Norma Miranda? Exactly. And like to be able to see Spring Awakening during that run after it won the Tony, it, it was really incredible. That's something that I'm really thankful the documentary touched on, but it was just kind of this weird phenomena at the time that had a lot of energy around it. And to, you know, I was 16 at the time going to see these 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds on stage on Broadway singing about like teenage issues. It was just, it felt, it felt vital and alive in a way that I don't think a lot of Broadway feels particularly because it also does this really cool thing of uh, it takes a play from the 19th century and then marries it with contemporary contemporary rock music. So they have these boys dressed in like lederhosen and tight j jackets, and then they'll pull out a, a microphone from their jacket and sing punk rock. Uh, so it creates this really interesting juxtaposition that I think uh, it serves the material well. Uh, the material, the play, is essentially a story about a bunch of different young boys and girls experiencing their kind of sexual awakenings and dealing with different traumas and uh, whether that's, you know, uh, from from the the most wonderful aspects of the sexual awakening to like the most dark ideas that you can think of. And, you know, for, for while I really responded to it while I was younger, I think I kind of like put it at an arm's length 
as I grew older because there's a certain like vulgarity and brashness to the music. There's songs titled things like we're, fu uh, uh, we're fucked and my junk in ways that feel a little bit juvenile. But in, in revisiting it now, I've, I've all come back around on it in that the, the directness of it just feels way more authentic to teenage emotions than most Anything teenage else? stuff that I've seen. Yeah, it's, it, it feels the it has the anger and the intensity and the passion that a 16, 17 year old would have in these moments. And I, in that way, it just feel, even though it's sent uh, set like two centuries ago, it feels so contemporary in terms of the emotions it's trying to portray. So I've, I've come back around on spring awakening as a musical. It makes me really want to go see it. If there's ever like a, uh, a revival of it, but just talking about this documentary spring awakening, those you've known, I thought it was really cool in uh, that they were able to, you know, blend what was a uh, revival concert with behind the scenes footage with just telling you a documentary about the production of uh, the play and the different steps it went through and what it meant to people, right? Like it, it's, it's somehow simultaneously a concert documentary and a historical retelling of these moments. Um, I really love that balance. I just, I just want more, man. Like, I don't know why when they're sitting on all this footage, they just don't put some of it out. They, they have filmed performances from 2006 in high quality. Put those all out. They have this new filmed performance from last year. Put that all out too. I would watch the nine hours if you gave it to me, but you're only giving me two. It's not fair. Just give me the good content if you've got it. I don't, I don't understand it, especially after the success of Hamilton. I just, I want more yeah. full filmed productions of Broadway yeah. plays. It's not quite there, but it's, it's enough of a taste that if you are looking for something like that, I think you will really enjoy uh, Spring Awakening, those you've known, even if you weren't previously aware of the musical. I agree with you, man. I think that that is one of the biggest gateways to get people into Broadway. I mean, nothing else. No other medium like a Broadway show costs as much to go to that you would need an ease of access thing. You know, people are going to be playing the lottery to go to these things. And I think a lot of recordings um, or as a lot of people like to call them slime tutorials on YouTube uh, for these plays are the best way for people to be able to catch a glimpse of them. So, I, yeah. And I hate when you know that it's recorded and it never gets released. Right. Just give it to me. It's there somewhere. Just, people will pay for I, it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's the some show must go on has, unless we're not making enough money out of it. There's some dude who has the cut on his hard drive. And if you get him drunk enough, he'll show you. But you got to figure out who that dude is. because I don't know. Him. Um, oh, yeah, no. But awesome documentary. And not just because it has it has the story of Leah Michelle showing her vulva <laughs> to Jonathan Groff behind the scenes. Uh, uh, all right. What Interesting. Else do we have? Let's let's talk about some TV. If I may, before we get into the TV, uh, because okay, I've I've been yeah. holding these off for the longest time. But since you brought up a play, let me bring up uh, a variation of oh, some stuff yes. that I was able to see. Let's yeah, do, let's um, do our theater corner. Uh, and this week's art theater court, we have two different plays. One that was playing, I want to say, it was at the James N. Nederlander. It's still playing in several places because this is what won the Tony last year, if I'm not mistaken, for when Broadway took their big, you know, break and then they came back and uh, they had their like two part show. Moulin Rouge took home a lot of different awards and it was playing, is still playing, I want to say for a couple more weeks here in Chicago. I believe it's going to be touring. 
I did not get to see this with the main cast. The main cast was stacked. The main cast got the awards. Um, but I still got to see a really cool performance for those who have never seen the original movie, the Baz Luhrmann movie. It is an adaptation of that film about this nightclub that is trying to get a new show in order to be able to uh, keep the funds and not have it shut down. Mm-hmm. Very great production. Very expansive. Are you a fan of the Baz Luhrmann style of taking new music and setting it to an old time? Yeah, so I think I think the term is like jukebox jukebox music. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. which a, a great term. Um, I think there are ways to do it well, such as in the Baz Luhrmann version of Moulin Rouge, and there's ways to do it bad, such as Rock of Ages. Um, I I like it in concept, but I've definitely seen it done poorly. I was pretty good in Moulin Rouge. It's one of Alina's favorite movies. I think it, yeah, I think I, the oh, song selection that they've picked for the movies is very good. Well, Zach, they, I was unaware that they decided to add a same? couple more. So they keep some of the big oh. ones, right? You're not, you're not going to get rid of everything. But they threw in yeah. some ones that really caught me off guard. And I just laughed at Alina looking at me and goes, is this what it felt like for the original two? <laughs> I think it's dependent on the music. It also did not yeah. help that the performances. I mean, uh, it took them until uh, it took them until halfway through. I don't know if they got an oil change in the back or something, but the first half was rough with them. Man, I was checking through this, oh. waiting for. I was looking oh. for that extra slip. I was like, these ain't the mains, right? Uh, in the second half, they all come in a little bit better. Um, but I will say that out of everybody who was there, the story, if you're a fan of the movie. I guess it's worth catching. Uh, the best part was definitely the production design, but I want to shout out, if I see him here, Andre Ward killed it. Killed it. If you get the opportunity to see him with, uh, see it with him in the cast, definitely go give it a watch. Um, awesome. Not better than the movie, though. Siegel. I got to go see Siegel at the Steppenwolf. Uh, yeah, the, you had a like, QR code, the, uh, the, the playbill, which is kind of kind of <laughs> lame, but uh, yeah, I guess environmentally friendly. Uh, this is the Anton Chekhov, you know, adaptation that they did. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in this one because I went to go see Bug, uh, which was also really good at the Steppenwolf, and that one had why am I not seeing a man right here? Namir Smallwood. He was also in this, also fantastic. Uh, this is also in their new room. I mean, if it's Chekhov, so if you're into Chekhov, you're into Chekhov, but. This is their new um, expansive corridor that they created during the pandemic. So it is a 360 room. So you get to see the entire performance right in front of you. And they had these like crazy machineries that were coming up and down. Fantastic experience. Uh, if you're able to see a show there, uh, I'm kind of reviewing <laughs> the new venue. Definitely worth it. They have like a whole bar up there. And the way that you enter, there's like smoke. And it makes it feel like so mystical because you're kind of like walking around the outdoor corridor. It's almost like a coliseum, but not really because it's not that big. It feels like the, uh, the the plays of old, you know, when they were all surrounded and everyone got to see uh, every single angle of the, uh, of the show. Obviously, it That's means cool. that there's going to be cool. some performances where you're going to get the back of somebody. But then you end up with like someone really close to you and i thought it was a a a nice little space that they've got and i'm very curious to see more shows there yeah i mean theaters that are designed like that like you hope that they've been directed in a way where they kind of dynamic and Mm -hmm. move a lot so a good director is going to make it feel good from any angle even if it isn't a new york ones bro i remember we were in new york we didn't get to go to those we stayed mostly on broadway but there was ones like do you want to sit like right there where they 
the tears yeah. fall in your face. You know, <laughs> and you, you know, New I've York's got done, some weird stages, dude. Yeah. I've never done it. Like, there are certain plays. I think it was 1984 when they did that on stage with Olivia Wilde, where you literally could buy seats on the stage because they have, like, a studio audience for part of it. And I... I kind of wanted to try it. We didn't do it ultimately. Be, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to they hear from anybody who's They did that for bought. Network. On Network. Yes, I was like, who are network. those people? And I'm like, we searched it up and there were seats. So they were the audience for the network. I was like, that's crazy, yep. bro. It's so funny. Oh, I like when they do that. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's get into TV, shall we? Let's do uh, it. Because there's some really great TV. Uh, particularly, I think we are both very excited about the return of HBO Max's half-hour comedy, Hacks, the show created by Lucia Agnello, Paul Downs, and Jen Statsky, starring a couple favorites of ours, Gene Emmy Martin, winners. A, a new favorite, new favorite, Hannah Einbender, who's so good here in what's her first acting performance, basically. She's too good, though. Uh, it, it's unreal. I mean, she's she's she is up against a legend like Gene Smart and really, really is holding her own, is very hilarious in these scenes. Uh, Hacks uh, had a very fun first season in uh, in which Hannah Einbender's character is uh, working as an assistant to Gene Smart's character, who has a Las Vegas residency. And season two sees for them uh, end the residency and going out on the road together. So they That's ditched cool. the Vegas setting in... in uh, have contained themselves to a car for a lot of this. Uh, it also ha- left off with a big cliffhanger in terms of a looming email that is threatening their relationship. Uh, Art, there's only two episodes of Hacks Out so far. I'm assuming you caught them both because we are both very excited to watch as much of the show as we can. Uh, what did you think about the return of Hacks in season hey, two? There was a reason why it was one of our favorite shows of last year, not just one of our favorite comedies, not just something from the halfway point, something that made it all the way uh, towards the end. I love the way that they're switching up the setting. Uh, you have to keep it fresh. You have to keep uh, you know things moving. And I love how they're handling the cliffhanger because a lot of times, you know, you would be like, OK, we got a new season to wrap. Uh, so we got you all back here. We're going to resolve it. I love how they're just building it up more and more. They're not pushing it to the side. It kind of feels like they're pushing it to the side. It kind of feels like, oh, we'll answer it a little bit later. And it's just looming there and making it stronger and bigger. And it's very mm-hmm. overbearing. Um, and it changes their entire dynamic. I am very excited to see what locations are going to be going to, how the comedy reflects that, especially uh, because one of the things that I liked from season one was when she sat down and saw all of uh, Jean's like, performances. So now to be able to go to those places and like what history would come from that, uh, something that really intrigues me, but they're all killing it. Totally. This other storyline that they've got going on to back at the office is so out of pocket because it's the assistant who doesn't know how to be an assistant. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I forget. I don't know what her name is, what the actress's name is. Um, Meg Stalter, I think, is playing uh, Paul Downs' assistant on this show. They're so funny, that dynamic between the two of them. So I like the balance that they've got going in there. Uh, the only person who I think needs a little bit more screen time is resolving, um, I want to say it was her manager, uh, the guy who ends yeah, up like Marcus, breaking up. Right? with right? Yeah, because there was a whole fallout with the boyfriend because he's always choosing work. Uh, I want to see more of his character because I thought he had a really good performance in season one, and they've only teased a little bit of his emotional arc, uh, and I think he deserves more episodes. He Maybe even a whole... Kind of had a dedicated one in first, but a whole dedicated episode in two would be dope to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's been a little bit pushed to the side, but I think uh, that is mostly them setting things up for this second season, right? Like, they, they kind of have to deal with the lingering issues from the first season and put them on the road, and, and then maybe they'll figure out stuff. But I agree with you. I think uh, Marcus is such an interesting character. I really like... Uh, it's Carl Clement Hopkins, I think the actor's name is. I think he's so delightful on the show that I, I'm hoping they find ways to keep him very involved. But nope. I'm very excited to see where, where this is going to go because they've. I think there are easier paths they could have given themselves in order to make things very easy between the characters or like come to clean, quick resolutions. And rather than just sort of like pull a Band-Aid, they're kind of like inching the Band-Aid off in a way. To make it a worse, they're, yes. They're leaving, they're leaving lingering tensions that are going to build and, and crescendo, I think, throughout the season. It's a whole big so punchline, yeah. It's great. It's, it's just going to be, be more and more humor as we get along. Uh, but yeah, their, their dynamic is just so fun. I think the show is really good at going to kind of harsh places, but keeping the characters empathetic and likable. Um, it's, it's a very fun show. It's very good. Um, yeah, man, I'm just very happy it's back. It's just easy to watch and good TV. Easily my recommendation of the week, but the only question I have, Zach, is yeah. what is the difference between an HBO Max and an HBO original series if Hacks is so good, Emmy winning, gets a recommendation, and that's a Max, but I thought the HBO original was supposed to be the good one, and the HBO original this week is The Time Traveler's Wife. Yeah, um, Time Traveler's Wife, it's the latest HBO original uh, based on the, is it a series? I think it's a series of books. I Uh, think it was books. I know the movie. Love the movie. (laughs) Yeah, the 2009 movie with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams, I think a lot of people remember. I feel a little, I mean, I I felt like it was a little quick to turn it around, but they're turning everything around quick now. so yeah, what do you think about this latest iteration of the Time Traveler's, Traveler's Wife, starring Rose Leslie and Theo James? We've only had uh, one episode debut publicly, but we got screeners. I don't know how far you've made it into those screeners. Uh, I've been able to see almost half of it. Uh, like I said, if Rachel McAdams is in a time traveling movie, like About Time or Time Traveler's Wife, or uh, I guess even multiverse jumping in this most recent stuff, I- I'm there. In retrospect. It's a weird story, Zach, because this is the <laughs> this is the romance uh, arc of two people where one of them just so happens to be a time traveler but does not have the ability to control it. So said person, since they were young, has been time traveling to different moments uh, without clothes but has also established a relationship with another woman maybe before they even were to ever meet. It creates a very interesting paradox in its storytelling because you're able to jump around to different moments uh, as you follow him and you also follow her. So it's not really told narratively, uh, definitely not chronologically, but it's told almost through like uh, an event. Uh, What was the big moment where he realized that he can give himself advice? What was the big moment where he realized um, that they were going to be together? When did she realize it? And that's and that's where, in retrospect, you look back at it. You're like, well, how young did he meet this woman? Um, and and look, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. To no, be it's very this show weird, with man. So much discussion of so much discussion of grooming in the news recently. Yeah, look, I'm gonna be I'm gonna keep it a buck, bro. I I, I love the original movie. Um, the show yeah. because it takes its time to flesh out a lot of things. I don't know how far you saw, bro, but. 
Just there the is a lot of stuff between his own story arc where he got to know himself very well that I was not expecting to see. Um, but I will say these two have a decent amount of chemistry with each other, uh, more so her than him. I think he's cool. I don't mind Theo. Uh, I think Rose is mm-hmm. a much better actress. I think she's able to bring a lot more of the vulnerability to it. I love Rose um, but I'm I'm very curious to see how it develops towards the second half, but even more so how it gets received. Because these are not... St- we are not in a world of nuance, and these are stories that definitely need a dollop plus of it. And uh, it's entertaining so far. Um, it's I think if you like the movie, you'll enjoy this. If you read the books, I'm very curious to see what yeah. you feel about uh, certain aspects now being adapted to a motion picture or a television series. But so far, I think yeah. it's pretty decent. It's an intriguing show. It just feels a bit messier than I think I'd expect from an HBO series. Original. That, if it's a Max, I'm good with it. Right. Yeah, it's just like not all the way there, not uh it doesn't feel like it has a clean enough, you know, jumping off point. It's just sort of like a collection of ideas at this point. It it, it seems kind of intriguing, but I don't yeah, I, I'm just not sold on it yet. I'll give it a few more episodes, but yeah, it doesn't seem like you're a whole lot higher on it and you you've seen more than I have at this point. Yeah, and I also know I'm a sucker for time travel, but other than that, yeah. nah. You know, there's I mean, a movie there's version some... where you don't have to sit for ten episodes and you <laughs> get the whole story. <laughs> true, true. Maybe I should catch that. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to talk a little about Atlanta? Let's do it, bro. Since the last time we talked, I had missed a couple episodes that you had seen, and then I caught up and you had missed the last two episodes. Now we are all caught up. I think we have one more episode to go, if I'm not yes. mistaken, but yes. where do you want to begin? Some of the ones we missed or the most recent one directed by Childish himself? I mean, I think we could talk about the the latest one uh, first, the, the black and white episode, season Beautiful. three, episode nine, uh, a very intriguing episode. Uh, and yeah, like you said, not just directed, written by Donald Glover, although it is another one of the uh, sort of tangent episodes that we get occasionally on Atlanta, uh, We get that we get a lot of so far this season. I think it's the fourth out of ten that didn't involve any of you our like that? regular characters. Do you like it? I do like it, although I, if I'm being honest, I feel like four is a little more than I want. Um, I like spending time with great actors like Brian Tyree Henry, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beats. You know, like, like I want to, I want to hang out with them. And I, I, you know, it's not that I'm not enjoying the bottle episodes. There are some that are better than others, but it, it's pushing it, them to the side. At a certain point, at a certain point, you, it's a little like the balance is a little bit off. I think. I feel you 100. percent I like if you're making like the bottle episode or whatnot. But it's still kind of be connected, you know, not like the cop out in, like in, the, in the pilot. Perkins. Yes. Thank you. Not like the beginning yes, one from the season where he just it, where yeah. he just wakes up and it's like, oh, there he is at the end. No, 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 no. no. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. Like the Teddy Perkins. I, I, I wish he was doing more of that. And I don't know if it's just an excuse to not have to develop the characters because he's trying to, like, maybe save their storylines. And there's so much he could do mm-hmm. since we continue to be uh, overseas for a lot of these episodes. But. Uh, what did you think of this one? Did you like the way it was shot, the performances, the premise? You know, it's funny because uh, the way it was shot, I don't know if you also thought this, but it immediately reminded me of the Rebecca Hall film from last year, <laughs> Passing. The moment I saw the kid playing, <laughs> I'm like, they pull into Tessa Thompson here because I can't yeah. tell right now. Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. I thought that's what he was going for. He just didn't do the 4-3. It is. 
No, but it's intriguing, you know? Like, it, it's it's a smart way of kind of making this nuanced thing a little more black and white than we, we want to talk about it. I, I think it, the show does a really good job of examining these uh, intricacies of racial issues and, you know, delving into what's not black and white about being black or white. Um, it, it does it in a way that is both kind of like intellectually stimulating and also like very funny. Uh, we talked before we started uh, uh, streaming about the little self-reference that they do on this week in referencing the one of our favorites can bit. Yeah. One of our favorites. Uh, so th- there's just a lot of stuff like that that I really like. I do. I wonder if this one, maybe they spell it out a little bit too much by the end. You know, there's that whole talk that he has with the Nigerian kid outside of the school that I kind of feel like is the stuff that you're supposed to infer and not usually the stuff that Atlanta puts in the text. But I still found it to be a very intriguing episode uh, and uh, like beautifully assembled. I am very interested in the way he's been able to get a lot of these cameos. Specifically, I don't want to spoil them because I think that's also part of the uh, fun in going into these episodes. But this one has a yeah. certain cameo that was definitely uh, a big yeah. deal with it's, recent <laughs> events. Um, yeah, it's also like a cameo that I don't know if everybody is going to register as a cameo. For sure. Uh, but, Compared to the other ones, yes, for sure. A lot of the people who watch Atlanta would probably understand should, what that cameo is. Should. Should. Last week, Zach, was one that I was very interested in you catching for a little one that takes place in a bar. Yeah. Um, talk about that one. Yeah, so that last week we had, it was like the, the tr- drug trips episode of Atlanta. Yeah. This one was a little bit more like what I like when Atlanta goes off, off the course. Because like this had very little of, um, of Earn, very little of Lakeith's character. <laughs> you just it want was... no Earn. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. No, I'm I, with I, you too. I like Paperboy. Like I want to see Paperboy yeah. and Lakeith. Maybe even Zazie before I care about Earn, to be honest with you. Well, I, I like I kind of like Earn when he shows up in sort of these little supporting roles. Like the, the final Thank you. scene between He's a gr- him and yes. Paperboy, it was excellent. With the question, um, very good. I, mm-hmm. But yeah, this was another intriguing episode in terms of like, I like when it feels like you're going down a rabbit hole. And uh, when, when, you know, Atlanta is a kind of show where you can round a corner and walk into a completely different type of show. And this is a great example of that kind of episode, uh, whether it's like being chased by those uh, by those crazy fans in what was like a uh, oddly terrifying sequence. I really love that one small moment where uh, the woman in the uh, red light district takes the picture of him rather than the other way around, which is what it normally is. Uh, but then, yeah, he has this whole exchange with this uh, new character. I forget the actress's name, but I know she's on Pose. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to also see a kind of different dynamic than I think what Atlanta normally does, like really sort of questioning uh, Paperboy as as the artist, as the businessman. Like, what? Why do you have your family close? To, I don't know. Um, explored some really interesting issues that I think, you know, are are in the culture a lot right now. Um, but then, of course, it gets to this final kind of moment in the club where we have. Probably the biggest cameo of the season so far. I was curious. We talked a little bit about it last week, but you didn't want to spoil it for me. So I I guess without spoiling who it is, what was your reaction to it? So I was spoiled. That's why I didn't want to spoil you. So I saw the entire thing online. Someone just decided to put it like a transcript. It was like, you know, in Doctor Strange, we got this cameo, this cameo, this cameo. They did one of that (laughs) for Atlanta. I was not expecting that. Um, So 
I have a different reaction to it because I knew he was going to be there at that bar. I knew the name of okay. the bar, which is a big yeah, thing okay. that they really focus on. Um, and between this, the one that was in the newest episode, and then the one that we see, as I pull this up right here just to make sure, Trini to the Bone. I think this was the most... Um, I guess just like this one made the biggest statement, I guess. I, 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 feel, I feel, They're all making statements, but I feel like this one literally is a proclamation from the cameo about what they feel um, right. in the most abrupt way after already being as abrupt as they were, I guess. Uh, and I, find, I don't know. I found it really fascinating because it's also a discussion that um, Paperboy is having with him. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the themes, but I feel like that kind of do – you, do you feel talking about like the discussion that they're having? and, and Well, they, they're sort of talking about cancellation and cancel culture in general. And yes. Like what happens Can you be redeemed? To, yeah. Yeah. What happens to these people after they do something bad, which has been a recurring theme on the season of Atlanta. The episode White Fashion touches on it a lot. And, and here we get it again. Another crazy I, episode. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting in, in that, like, in a way, this is just sort of like a provocation from Donald, Donald Glover. He's kind of saying, like, well, what are we going to do now that this happened? Right. Like, yeah, this, this exists. This guy is here. Are you are you going to yell at him or are you going to sit down and have a drink? Like, I don't, And I think it's an interesting question to ask ourselves as we as we sort of live in a world where um, where people's past indiscretions are so readily available and there are people who are will continue to exist in the culture. They'll be at the bar whether or not you invited them to the bar mm-hmm. and like what to do with them now that they're there. Like, are you are you supposed to engage with them? Is are they are they not learning from their their past indiscretions by uh, by. Uh, being allowed to continue on in the way they are. I just think it's int- it, it asks a lot of intriguing questions without necessarily giving you the answer. And to me, I think I enjoy when art is willing to be a little bit messy like that. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what I got with the appearance at the funeral seat in the previous episode to this Trini to the Bone. This reminded me yes. a lot of uh, an upcoming movie from Sundance that won the big prize, Nanny, um, as an episodic... Yes almost form of that and there is a specific cameo here that is kind of contrasted to the kid because there is uh, obviously a white family who lives in new york whose um babysitter has just passed and that babysitter uh was from trinidad if i'm not mistaken and because of that a lot of uh the language and mannerisms have been passed on to the kid and the way they comment on that from the kid Compared to the cameo, especially when this person was in a lot of things last week, mm-hmm. I found it very fascinating. I found it very fascinating. Yeah, and uh, again, I feel kind of piggybacks off of that same discussion that you're having. What do you do with these people who have uh, kind of blended things? Have they have they done a wrong? Because a lot of these people don't even think that they have done anything wrong to begin with. So how do you remedy something when you don't even see it as a problem? Right, because like increasingly we are dealing with things that are not not being litigated within the criminal justice system and often <laughs> definitely not be. like should like, they how, like how do you even yeah and should should they even i don't be? think and, yeah. like so then wh- whose job is it to hold these people to task or are are they just sort of part of our culture now um i don't know i i found it to be fascinating i found it to be very funny too which is i guess atlanta's first job mm-hmm. so it succeeded in that um so from from those 
I know that you were not as hot on season three when we got halfway through. Yeah. Rounding into this this second half of the season, we still haven't seen episode 10. Uh, where do you feel on season three of Atlanta right now? Um, we're missing one last one, and that's white fashion. That was the one that I was missing when I had said, oh, you know, it's feeling okay. I'm making my judgments right now. We're like halfway through. White fashion may be one of my favorite episodes of Atlanta. So going from there and then having, you know, the side episodes of Treating to the Bone and, and then the new one, um, but white fashion and new jazz. I need an hour episode for this finale, bro, because all I'm saying yeah. is that if you would have, uh, I like Trinity to the Bone, but if that would have connected with them again, you would have had a run of three that would have been crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I, to me, Atlanta is all about the story of Paperboy and what he's going through. That's all it is. And, and you have, you know, his two friends who go along with him, but it is his story. And I think nothing encapsulates that better than uh, white fashion and him realizing the industry that he's in and him realizing that he's not asking the questions he's supposed to, which is why I think white fashion and new jazz go perfectly together. Uh, I had pulled up her name or who played Lorraine, Ava Gray. She did a fantastic job. Yes. She did a fantastic job in asking him the questions that he has, has doesn't realize that the people around him are no longer asking because you don't realize that you're in a certain place until you're in that place. You're not, you know, you, you've, you've almost sheltered yourself to that degree. Um, and I don't know. To me, every, every episode of Atlanta needs to inform the character of Paperboy to some degree or at least his world. In my opinion, that's what I love about Atlanta, and that's what those two episodes did well. And uh, yeah, I take back what I said. Rob, back on board with it. <laughs> I, do, I still agree with you. Too many yeah. anthology episodes, um, but damn, yeah, th- those are those are really good. Yeah, um, that that episode of New Jazz was a highlight to me so far. It reminded me a lot of I, I want to say it's called Lost in the Woods, the episode with the barber, uh, which is another paper paperboy centric episode, um, but. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's when Atlanta's at its best. So I really uh, like p- to get those. The haircut episode, top five I, for me. <laughs> it's a great episode. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I still think if, I'm, if I have to power rank the seasons or something like that, like I'd probably put it third. But like, that's only because I'm so high on those first two seasons. I'm, this is still one of the most interesting pieces of, pieces of television out there. I I'm, can't wait to watch every episode. I'm diving in as soon as I can. So very excited for that finale and hoping that we get some resolution with Ern and Van because Van has been well, kind I, of a mystery this season. Bro, I don't even know what's going on there. But I, I do want to point out what Lashana said in the chat that Lorraine was his mother's name and I feel like she was asking him the questions his mom would. I had heard that on Twitter after the fact. That's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful statement. I, yeah, uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, it, it very good. And one of those things that shows you how smart a show like Atlanta can be. All right. Uh, let us move on to another TV show that you brought up last week. And I finally caught because I about was it. very excited for it. And you t- gave me the recommendation, too. So let's talk a little bit I love about I Love That For You, the Showtime show created and starring Vanessa Bayer as a woman who gets a job at a QVC-like uh, company selling uh, products on TV and then fakes a cancer diagnosis to help her keep that job. Um, I mean, I'm really enjoying the show so far. I think it gets the proper balance between uncomfortable cringe and like 
just genuinely fun comedy. Like it's not it's not leaning too hard in the stuff that's too hard to watch. Yep. It's just the right amount of character uh, that it makes it really it, it makes it really believable and makes it feel like a world, you know. Um, I think Vanessa particularly is just so good at riding that line of like trying to present a chipper outer face, but showing you that she's actually very uncomfortable while doing it. Um, and she's so good in this role, perfect role for her. It's I'm, meant I'm, for her. Yeah, it's it's just like you know. Sometimes you feel like you have the perfect project and actor line up, and this really is that. I can't think of anybody else who who could have who could fit the role that she's got going. But uh, I, I, ironically, the only other person I can think of oh, is already on the show. As good is Molly <laughs> Shannon. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm really curious to hear what you think about the other episodes. I, I think I'm behind one, um, but I, I'm I'm really happy with the emotional weight that they bring to it, uh, and I'm curious to see how how well they continue to balance both towards the end of it, and to see how they continue with it because it's supposed to. I think they're looking for a season two, so we'll see. Very cool. All right, let's talk a little about Candy, which had a week-long run of five episodes. This is the show about Candy Montgomery, an 80s housewife and mother who uh, has Did some something. Deadly, deadly consequences by the end. Yeah, uh, it, it was an intriguing release in that they put out f- the five episodes one day after the another across the entire week. A, l- a lot of content, though, for one week. It almost felt like a binge release. I only caught the first one. Uh, did you catch all five? Well, I, I'm on five right now. Um, okay. So what do you think of most of it? So I want to review the, the release process first because a lot of people did not know it was a five-night event. A lot of people tuned in. Yeah. They do that thing where they come back knowing good and well that it hasn't been a week, and they were surprised to see there was another episode. But no one connected that I was talking to who was watching the show, oh, that there's another one out. I'm like, yeah, they're all out now. It's five. It's like, no, no, there's only two. I was like, no, no, it's all five. But what I only saw, And it's this whole back and forth because I don't think it was conveyed that this was a release strategy that people knew streaming services could do. I think it's a very interesting way to release something. Um, but I think it would need to serve probably a bigger thriller. And this ended up being more of a drama. And I think that's why it wasn't something that worked mm. in the same manner that they thought it, it, it probably could have. Um, I am up for more people doing this because instead of dropping everything in one day, you can drop it, uh, you know, in, in, in a span of time where you can actually get more engagements. They did not get that with this, in my opinion. In terms of the yeah. story, I think it's shot impeccably well. I love a lot of the compositions in this. I think the sound design is uh, does a great job at making the whole like you know suburban house life that they're living a lot more eerie than it really is. Uh, and she's really good in it. I think um, she does a great job at kind of playing these both sides of a character who could be crazy enough to do the incident that's been displayed or maybe is just very nice and is trying to get away with it or it's that manipulative that you know ma- manipulative style of her um, that is able to uh, control a lot of the narrative but uh, I was impressed with it I do at the end of it feel it could have been a movie hmm. it does not yeah, need to be five I mean, episodes it, it could have been a film and it, it and comes from a film like director the... mm-hmm that's always the like, you know, quandary with these limited series is that like maybe they'd be a little bit more effective if they cut out some of the fat and got to the point, right? right. I, I feel like 
a lot of times you're watching this stuff and it's a little like, okay, okay, are we gonna are we gonna get to it? Like I I know what's coming. You're, yeah. you're foreshadowing it like crazy. Oh, they take episodes. Yeah, and that's my only thing. Again, I wouldn't mind uh, having that version of the movie and then later on you know Quentin Tarantino put out like a mini series version of all the deleted scenes and comes it back together that's cool that's what the streaming era should be for but for its initial release it did feel more bloated as a mini series as opposed to what would have been like a very you know cohesive two and a half hour movie that could have then split its parts there um because like I said it is more of a drama and and in this episodic way they're trying to play it more like a thriller when we're not really we're not really playing a guessing game we're just trying to figure out yeah. what did we not know about the relationship yet um but yeah overall i would recommend it uh, i think for the horror fan or i want to call it horror already for the true, true crime, crime people yeah that's out there because yeah. it I, I don't know if you notice this with the first episode it tells you based off real events and then mm-hmm. it ends and it goes all right we kind of lie <laughs> It's not, it's not completely. Alina laughs at it every single time because it is kind of like, we don't really know what's happening with them, but it yeah. makes good content, right? Tune in, tune in tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's, it it's only weird in that sense. It is kind of interesting that we are also getting the uh, HBO Max version of this later this year starring Elizabeth Olsen. For real? Yeah, uh, I, I'm putting it up on the screen right now. They, Elizabeth they already released some photos of her as Candy Montgomery, so we'll have competing Candy Montgomery miniseries in 2022. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, man. IP. It's all IP. Gotta, gotta get Yikes. to it first. Uh, Who, makes the, money, that Who makes this money, bro? Who makes this? Who gets the, like some podcast out there? I'm sure some podcast that got adapted. Yeah, we need to start talking about some true crimes. Zach, did I tell you about? <laughs> I'm not even going to mention anything. <laughs> the crime that happened in my neighborhood. Let's make the podcast. Yeah, That's crazy. Of we'll sell it to we'll sell it to Peacock for a limited series. Unreal. All right, so I think that's just about all we've been watching. Kind of a lot more to talk about than I thought. I think we thought we might at the beginning. Oh, we find yeah, we always find some good stuff to talk about. Uh, but this is yeah. depressing. What Let's we've go. got in the next category right here, dude. Oh, are we gonna go to con? Is that oh what yeah, we're talking the, about? Uh, yeah. Unless we had anything else that you caught from this past week. Uh, no, let's let's get into a little bit of yay or nay. Uh, hit it up quickly because the con film festival is starting soon. But there is this late breaking story from Deadline talking about the con film festival's refusal to engage on certain issues. Um, there has been in this article which. Oddly, makes Con, Deadline, and Variety all look bad. Uh, the Deadline has basically said that Con is the only <laughs> it really of the does. major film festivals. Yeah, Con is the only of the major film festivals that does not allow for unchecked interviews. They basically request that press send the interviews to them to be approved before publication. And this Deadline article is talking about a recent uh, spat between Deadline and. Uh, con in which in a question over diversity and inclusion uh, was apparently answered off the record according to Thierry Frameau, the head of the Con Film Festival, and Deadline says it's on the record, but Deadline is still not publishing it, despite Con saying not to publish. Basically, they're saying Con is not, is evil for not letting us publish this, but we're not going to publish it because we don't want to mess mess with Con. 
Yeah, so, they don't want to mess a relationship. I don't know. It, it's a it's a frustrating story on a lot of accounts because people are just like it, it both shows the lack of accountability and the lack of uh, it, you know reporting on this accountability too. Apparently, uh, there was a press conference for the Cannes Film Festival earlier today in which somebody asked a question about this article and it was met with complete silence. So rather than, you know, respond in any way, they're just running away from questions of diversity and inclusion. And while so many festivals have made major leaps in terms of the percentage of filmmakers that are not white males they include, uh, Khan has steadfastly refused to adapt and is just prioritizing whatever films they want to prioritize. Um, I don't know, man, what was your reaction to reading this piece? Uh, several, but that was from another news outlet, if I'm not mistaken, about the diversity. Deadline had asked about a director and said director was told they can come back whenever they want it. What you did wasn't a crime here. Yeah. They said, yeah, we don't want y'all talking about that, which I, again, I, I agree with you. I find it funny. We're not allowed to ask the question about Roman Polanski where Roman, where the, he responded like this about Roman Polanski. We're not allowed to tell you that we asked that question and he answered it this way yeah. as you're doing it. But then saying that there's still something else that can't be re- really dumb. Like if, if you're deadline and you're already uh, going to blow up your relationship with Khan, blow it up it for up. some good journalism. It makes no sense. But again, you're talking about journalism. You're talking about reporting. You were talking about accountability. Zach, what? Zach, dude, you know, you know how these things run. And my thing is, I feel a lot of people at home don't. If you're not going to these film festivals and holding, do I even have one of these here, bro? How, how do I explain this to you? you? All of these things that we get from these festivals, you open it up to badges. see what's playing in your badges. Oh. And what's on the badges, bro? What's the sponsors on all these different things? It's every mm-hmm. damn news outlet that's for, for film mm-hmm. out there. They're not reporting. They're not reporting. These are sponsorships. They're not worried about the truth or anything else. They're worried about making sure that they have that hub for next year. That on Main Street, that at Con, whatever it is, that you're there, that they're securing the artists that or filmmakers or interviews or whatever else. I'm not surprised by that. So I'm glad that we're in agreement that they're over here playing the victim. But in that same article, Zach, do they not say, I mean, we had no problem with it last year when they edited us and censored us or they edited us last year. But this year we feel it's censorship. Shut (laughs) up, bro. We're willing to play the game. But this one, we just can't do it anymore. To me, Deadline and all of these people. I got you, Zach. Deadline and all these outlets here. (laughs) They're no different than what they're complaining about. Because, Zach, you and I have had Mm -hmm. this discussion about all of these all of these companies remaking themselves. But if all of you weren't already guilty of doing the exact same thing, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't need initiatives. If you would have taken initiative early on, you wouldn't need an initiative now. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, de- there's places that do it better and places that do it worse, but there are not places, there's not a whole lot of places that are great. And, uh, I, you know, Khan has definitely made a name for their in their refusal to kind of adapt and be you know be they're french modern is it bad way. to say that they're yeah. french it's, it's such a french well, thing to weird, do because like fr- fr- the french are often labeled as these like very liberal progressive people but you know obviously there there are gaps in that and maybe it's part of it is just being in this old institution or something but yeah it, it certainly is 
I think you can see it when you look at the lineup of Khan compared to everywhere else. So uh, it's, it's weird beef. Frustrating given that Khan is such an important festival uh, for films. And it's frustrating given that all these major outlets that should be holding them to task often need their coverage from Khan in order to, you know, generate clicks and generate ad revenue and stay afloat. So it's a, it's a self-feeding system that is very hard to, to wedge your way into. They're big. I'm worried about the little guys. Imagine what they're going through, Zach. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you won't even hear from them. <laughs> Let's hit a couple topics that have been suggested to us in the chat. Uh, Shoot. Yassine wants to know if either of us have seen the trailer for Boys Season 3. You know, uh, Oof, I, I'm, I'm so staring at it. on the boys. Oh, you're looking at the I'm thumbnail? looking at it, bro. It's like right there on the IMDb just sticking out to me. Uh, you hate the boys, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm so in on the boys that I kind of don't need a trailer at this oh, point. Okay. I'm just going to watch it. I agree. Do we have them? Yeah. Do you know if we have them? Uh, they haven't sent it to us yet, but that's the other thing. Amazon's Jude, right? usually real good about Amazon's sending Amazon's real good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Devesh asked, speaking of unfunny garbage, any thoughts on the SNL opening monologue this week? You know, uh, ah. I, I don't like... I don't think you have to take a particular side on the the... Uh, Deb heard trial to think that making that your opening monologue is pretty disgusting, just generally speaking. I feel like it needs to be covered. Maybe not the opening, I guess, but it is the biggest thing that's out there. But I agree with you that it is hypocritical to comment on it and critique what people are doing while you're doing the exact same thing. I guess that's the theme of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, you're doing the exact same thing, and it's it's gone. It's become so weird. I don't even want to get into it, but there's a lot. I'm sure we'll have a discussion at one point. I will just say this: I've been seeing a lot of movie channels cover this in explain series. It's it's you're as bad as what you're saying in the video about how disgusting yeah. people are for commenting on this, or you're doing it for the clicks as well. That's all I'm gonna say. Hey, I don't yeah. mind a timeline of the events, but you're literally making commentary tracks. For a trial, yeah. bro. Think about that. Yeah. It, it's just, it's gross. And I th- I hope more people sort of like, take a second to think about what you're actually like commenting on. Or, yeah. Or like involving, I don't know, like, is this really the kind of thing that you want to turn into SNL fodder? Um, it just. There's a, there's a four, there's a way to approach it. Uh, I don't think it should just be yeah. ignored. It's too big. Um, right. But I think you're dealing it's with a scenario. News. It's not. Yeah, you're dealing with a scenario where, like, both of them are crazy, bro. Like, I know people want to pick sides, and this is, like, some Jacob versus freaking, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Some Twilight, like, it's some versus thing, which is really weird to me. Team I'm like, Edward, team yes, Jacob. they are both psychotic. They are both psychotic. I grew up loving Johnny as well. Bro, it's not <laughs> as innocent either, but that is not the way that we deal with things uh, in today's era. Um, yeah. Have you seen, though? That one video of the guy who did the testimony and he took a big hit while he was driving the car as he Skyped in. I didn't. I didn't. And the testimony, he gives testimony. He goes, yeah, thank you, Jerry. And then it ends and the judge calls for a break and she just stares out into the abyss. I'm going to send it to you, Zach. You're going to watch it in front of me after the stream and I can guarantee you you're going to laugh. I can guarantee you. I have not seen a funnier video. I hate to say it, but it was unreal reaction from the judge. It is the craziest thing that's happened. Um, even on my TV, on my uh, Vizio, it says mm-hmm. 
new Netflix show. Also, live coverage, Amber Heard versus Johnny. <laughs> it's unreal. And, like, you know, I get it's it's this huge thing and people are interested. But there's, I think at a certain point, you certain feed the system. people need to be, yeah, need to, like, we, we don't have to involve ourselves in this. Like, this doesn't have to be our thing, too. I don't know. I agree, bro. But uh, while I did not see the opening monologue, I think it was Selena this week. She did this one about the, uh, that's sad. I actually thought that was kind of funny, bro. I know a lot of people <laughs> who have that who have that slag, um, and I saw that was getting shared around. So if you haven't seen the Selena Gomez, that's sad bit. Uh, one of the decent sketches that came out this week, plus a couple yeah. of cameos from your boys because she was hosting because season two's right around the corner for Hulu's um, Only Murder yeah. in the Buildings. So yeah, there, there's one that I don't want to spoil for you, but I think you should go look for it, and I think you'll find it, and you should yeah. watch it. It's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know how often you watch SNL. I, I try to, although I've found the season to be like depends who's on. Pretty, pretty bad? bad. I mean, there are yeah. I mean, there's sketches here and there, but I, I've found this season a little hard to watch. I haven't liked SNL in a minute, but I heard they're doing a whole rebranding. A lot of people are leaving, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. They need to clean house. The, the cast is huge right now. Yo. Uh, Devesh also asked, any thoughts on all the TV cancellations? Modoc is a bit of a shame, but apparently Hidden Mountain is next on the cutting room floor. Uh, yeah, th- this was a pretty historic week in terms of TV cancellations. More shows were canceled this week than I believe any week previously. And It was that's, crazy. That's mostly a result of our peak TV era in that there's more shows being made than ever, but it's also that with this whole Netflixification of things where shows get only two or three seasons and they're done, there's uh, studios are just super quick to pull that plug. I mean, the CW canceled like half of its programming. It's also weird because a lot of them, you're saying quick, but a lot of them do a season two, which I find really weird. And I said this to you about uh, when we were covering Woke, when that was coming up for a season two. And I was like, are they doing this thing where they don't want to cancel, cancel a show like Woke for a season one? So they'll literally waste the money on a season two set up a storyline, and then be like, we were never going to give you a three. We should have canceled you back at one. Because a lot of the NBC shows were given second seasons, and I'm like, how do you greenlight something for a second season and not know that it's not going to be able to do a third? I feel like you're wasting that money on a season two. So I wonder with some of these, not all of them, but with some of these, if they're getting a two-season guarantee, particularly because like, if you are only doing like six or eight episodes in a first season, that's barely anything at all. I guess. I think some of these shows are getting like two-season guarantees out of the gate, and then, you, like, you know, something like Space Force, why why'd that get a second season? They didn't promote that at all. What did I tell you, bro? They were not going to come back with that. <laughs> What a waste of money! What a waste of money! Oh my goodness, that's sad. I'm gonna yeah. tell my kids about Space Force. <laughs> I, I TV has to do a lot of restructuring. I think I, people are really just desperate to find a show that will hit, and they're not spending as much time investing in the shows they already have. I think they really would be better off like doubling down their commitments on certain shows rather than getting two shows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Uh, I was really happy to see Grand Crew, a show that we've both shouted out on the intercut, did get picked up for a second season. Nice. Barely? Yeah. That's good, they, though. They said that it actually did like 17 million viewers on Peacock or something, so 
I don't know if that's Cause good they, or not. But. Yeah, because I was a little worried considering that Hulu got stripped of everything. You know, I, I've had family yeah. members messaging, hey, so that Paramount, yeah, <laughs> we share the Hulu. Yeah. They took out the show, didn't they? I got you. I got the Paramount. Uh, reportedly, allegedly, supposedly Paramount in case y'all start pulling a Netflix. But uh, the fact that they ripped all the shows off Hulu, I was worried if that was going to affect the viewership for his show, like Grand Crew, if people didn't have the right. other service. I'm glad it didn't. So that's good. Uh, LaShawn also asked, how are you guys enjoying Better Call Saul? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm up to date on this one. I don't think you are. Uh, I, it's great. You know, they're just some of the, some of the best craftsmen in TV, the way that they're able to pace the show and create certain sequences where something it's, they do, they do this thing better than any other people on TV where they'll show you something and it's intriguing but mysterious and then you see a little bit more of the process a little bit more of the process and then you figure out oh that's why they're doing that and it and then you figure out how it integrates into the plot it's just a, a really cool trick that they pull out of the bag every now and then uh, that's always fun to watch I, I'm a little surprised how much it feels like they're sort of spinning their wheels given that we are so close to the end game um, they did give us the end of one of the main characters earlier this season, but since then it's been a little bit like, all right, where, where, what's the next step here? What's the next shoe to drop? Um, mm -hmm. Not that it makes me think any less of the show because it's, it's just one of the best made shows ever. They've been doing a great job with uh, just the community. The amount of memes I see for Better Call Saul that pop up in my timeline or everywhere that I go, I don't get them. <laughs> But they're putting, you know what I mean? Like the worst thing you can get yeah, is, a, is a show that's not, doesn't have that talk out there. But they are making like such niche things and people are mm -hmm. dying in the comments. And I'm like, w one day I'll understand what this joke means. <laughs> but like they're getting views and that, that, that shows you uh, that it's a yeah. successful show. All right. So why don't we wrap this up with some of the new to see and talk about what is coming out over the next week. Uh, and Again, we're, we have a pretty light week. Not a whole lot right now as we gear up for summer movie season. Uh, the Human Rights Film Festival kicks off in London and New York this week. Features a couple films that we've talked about that were uh, Sundance selections, including The Janes and the award winner Midwives that I think we both liked quite a bit. So if you are in New York or in London, uh, maybe keep your eyes out for that festival. Might be some really interesting stuff there i don't know if there's an online uh, no oh, i mean like is there is there a line for the human rights film festival do you get a vip to cut everybody else at the human rights film festival i don't know or Maybe is have different tiers that would, i think every i think it's about collectivism <laughs> right so I would, yeah I would you should be, not have different tiers at the human yeah, rights actually, film like festival. They, they do have a online so you might not right. even have to travel to new york or london to do that one beautiful that's what i'm talking about also out on may 20th for Disney Plus, Chip in Dale, What's up? Rangers. It is the reboot-ish comeback, whatever you want to call it, of the furry creature, Disney creatures that are not Alvin and the Ch Chipmunks. I had to make that distinction for Caitlin earlier. Uh, but it's kind of an intriguing idea here in that they're who framed Roger Rabbiting Chip and Dale. They're sort of retconning the whole TV show as like an acting gig that they had like back it. in the day. Yep. It, I, I think it's really creative. And to be honest, like this is the kind of approach to animated characters that I've been 
craving since Roger Rabbit. Like, I kind of mm-hmm. want, like, a Hollywood backlot world, but with animated characters. Uh, I, I'm very excited to catch this because they sent us the screener, but you already caught it. Uh, we're not supposed to do the full review, but, but give me your, like, tweet-length review of Chip and Dale. We finally have something that breaks the fourth wall in a way that, that we haven't seen in a while which is such a beautiful breath of fresh air to see. And there are some really great jokes, considering you have the Lowly Island trio, if I'm not mistaken, behind this and directing yeah. and even in some voices. But then it still suffers from some, like, literally being a corporate product that's on Disney+. Plus. Sadly. I wish it went over that hump. So, like, I really like it. Almost really loved it. But I highly recommend it. March 20th yeah, or I mean, May 20th? Yeah, May 20th. <laughs> I'm I'm obviously not a big like cameos guy, but even in just a little bit that I caught, there was a cameo that I was very very surprised and happy by. Where? Uh, one of the very first CGI creations we see. Is he sitting across from him? Yeah. Okay. You know who voices that guy? No. I'll tell you after, bro. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, also out on May twentieth. Downton Abbey, A New Era, directed by Simon Curtis. It is a dawn of the new beginning for Downton Abbey. Been waiting. Um, Have you ever seen an episode of Downton Abbey? I'm thinking of going to go see this new one after not seeing like the 60 episodes or the previous movie. And then just like just like going and pretending like I know these people Uh, and then just make a video on that. I've not seen a single episode, bro. I don't have time. It's between Bob's Burgers and Downton Abbey for me to rewatch. And I I chose I chose Bob. Yeah, um, I, I just. I'm too far back at this point, and it just never seemed like my thing, but I'm glad people who like that will have a new one. Uh, Something that I do like, though, is Duel, which is finally making its way to VOD um, on May 20th. So the latest from Riley Stearns with Karen Gillan, Aaron Paul, and the boy Theo James, the time traveler himself, not the wife, uh, all are going to be available for rent I would recommend it. I think you're you're a little more mixed on it. You would recommend the art of self defense, mm-hmm. this previous film. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's a, it's at a place where I think you should check it out, and it may be up on a streaming service soon. So mm-hmm. even if you wanted to wait, I don't think it, it'll take that much longer. He's been really funny online. Have you seen him? He goes. I think he's very good on Twitter. He's he he's yeah he's on my he's up there with Dylan. Uh, Dylan O'Brien. They've been really good on Twitter. When this man said, yeah. you'll be able to stream it, everyone, on your AMC Plus app, I'm like, you have like a really good level of comedy that I wanted to see more in Duel of because you hit that <laughs> in the art of self-defense, man. Uh, he's been really great online. Uh, also out this weekend in theaters is Emergency, the Sundance film directed by Carrie Williams that I think we... Uh, Yumi and Amanda were big fans of one of the first films that we caught there about a group of students who must weigh the pros Mm. and cons of calling the police after a uh, passed out teenager appears in their living room. I think, you know, there's a lot of ways in which this film could have gone worse. It could have been a little bit more of like a message movie. It could have felt a little bit like an after school special in terms of the ways that it deals with racial issues and the ideas of feeling safe. Uh, with police, but I think the film manages to skate a line of authenticity and humor that makes it worthwhile. Like, it, it, the questions are always, the, the questions of what are they going to do are always hard enough to answer that 
I, I felt like I was with them on their journey and never really like annoyed by by how they were handling the situation, if that makes sense. It, it, it struck the right tone. I felt it was like right there. I could feel the message coming in. But what held it together, Zach, was their friendship. Yeah. And in particular, the performance by the star that is R.J. Seiler. <laughs> R.J. Getting some love. He's very good in this movie. Very good. Uh, another Sundance selection from 2021 is Fire in the Mountains. That is out in limited theatrical release. A really doc. interesting documentary. Uh, also out in limited release in theaters is Hold Your Fire. This one's also on VOD, a uh, documentary from IFC Films. Oh, it's at the Critics Fest. Chicago Critics this past week, which if y'all are yeah. in Chicago, definitely go check out some movies there. Uh, Love, Death, and Robots returns for a third volume, not season, over on Netflix, the collection of animated shorts, uh, a grab bag of tones and ideas. The first season, I think, got a lot of uh, traction. People really good. responded to it. I didn't catch the second season. You thought it was not as successful. I thought I had seen it, bro. I think. <laughs> like, it, 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 they dropped the ball that bad. I don't think anyone is looking forward to three, and I wonder, with all the stuff happening behind the scenes... Um, the animation team is not looking great over at Netflix. I always thought they had really good animators for these. They had really good budgets, and I feel like they're ready to put this out to the pasture, man. We're going to get Marmaduke 74 before we get a Love, Death, and Robots season four. Man, I am not encouraged that Marmaduke I is in the Netflix am top ten. not either, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> it's over. Uh, uh, it's the beginning of the end. Uh. Anyways... Probably the release I'm most excited to see in theaters this weekend is the latest from Andrew Garfield, Men, written and directed by Andrew Alex Garfield, Garland, starring Jesse Buckley, Rory. What did I say? Andrew Garfield. Alec? Did I say Andrew Garfield? Yeah, I like Andrew Garfield too. What's, <laughs> what's going on with my brain? The latest from Alex Garland, written and directed by Twenty Eight Days Later, Annihilation, and Deus. Or ex machina, devs, devs, and ex machina writers. The boy, Garland. I know who I'm talking about. Starring Jesse Buckley and (laughs) the second Spider Man. (laughs) (laughs) Nominated for Uh, Tick Tick Boom. (laughs) Uh, You have seen men. I have not seen men. I'm jealous. It is the most disturbing of Alex Garland's feature films. Look, I'm not going to say it's my favorite. I'm actually going to say that this, if you thought any of the previous ones were the most difficult and not ready for an audience, remember, Paramount sold Annihilation because they said it was going to be too smart for audiences that they gave it to Netflix. (laughs) Woo, this is way past that, bro. (laughs) I don't know how to put it. If you're a fan of Annihilation, if you're a fan of Ex Machina, know that this is even... I don't even know how to put it, darker, more grim, and like I said, way more disturbing. I don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea. I... Uh, was still fascinated by it, but I may really like Alex Garland is in my like top, like that, that's anything he like. I'm gonna go see it again. I don't even know if I should recommend people to see it once in theaters, only because I know that it's not gonna. I don't think they're gonna like it. They're gonna come up mad. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like- I'm looking out for the audience, man. I mean, that's the classic A24 move: is put out a movie that is not. Appealing to a mainstream audience, but make the trailer intriguing enough yeah. that it will get some mainstream audiences. 
hey, always give a movie a try. I'm never not one to do that, but I'm also one who realizes how much tickets are out there, and I want y'all to catch it probably at home so you give it the benefit of the doubt. Because if you're going out to see this in the theater, and then you, you're going to like really end up hating it and not giving it the time of day. Um, but I'm ready to watch it again and dissect it more and more because, again, I just I love what this man does. But it's probably not as effective as uh, the way he was able to deliver the themes in his previous films. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I'm still really intrigued by this one, especially with Jesse Buckley at the center of it. I, I have high hopes. So Rory Kinnear this one is really good, as, but so yeah. is Rory Kinnear. But he's not as good as Rory Kinnear. <laughs> I, I will. I'm sure I will understand that when I see men. Um, also out on May 20th is Night Sky. This is a new TV show coming to Amazon Prime Video, starring J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek. Uh, did you know anything about this one? Yes, we have all of the screeners, I believe, on our app store. Yeah. But it's, again, one of those, like, the uh, the outer range, right, um, that Prime also has where uh, they're giving it to us in, like, 720p quality where these are 4K shows, man. It, it seems pretty interesting. It's a couple who finds, uh, like, a call it an alien craft or something, and they're like, kind of hiding it. And then their neighbors realize, yo, what you got over there? And they now feel that they're the harbingers of this thing and they need to protect it. I find it really interesting. I'm excited to start watching this one. I just haven't uh, had the time yet. Very cool. And then over on Hulu is The Valet, a new film starring Eugenio Derbez and Samara Weaving about (laughs) a movie star who enlists her valet to pose as her lover. Art, uh, you, you have a relationship, let's call it, with... Eugenio Derbez is a Eugenio, performer. bro. Yeah, man. I love to hate him. I hate to love him, I guess you could call it. Hey, I mean, that's probably the, one of the biggest voices we got out of Mexico. And uh, I know he started his own company and everything. I don't know if this falls under that one as well. But the stuff he comes up with, bro. I'm always surprised the actresses he's able to get. Because when I saw the premise, I was like, this is right up his alley. But then I saw Samira weaving and I was like, how does he do it, bro? <laughs> how, do, how does he do it? Um, yeah, he plays the ballet. She plays, you know, practically Samara Weaving. I, I'm, he I'm in a way. He is as a producer. Maybe. No, maybe no. it is his company. Again, that's my thing about him. It's that he has the moves he's been making, Zach. It's, a, I, it's akin to Tyler Perry. The moves Tyler yeah. Perry has made are commendable to a degree where you should be listening and paying attention to the way that he owns everything that he does. Excellent I just wish man. what they owned was better. I don't know. It's the point. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear that for sure. All right, so that is out. what is out in theaters and on streaming this week. Art, what are your picks for the week? Uh, for this week, other than recommending you all to catch the first Top Gun movie before that new Top Gun film comes out. Uh, uh, um, let's go. Let's yeah, go. I just want to let you all know, Top Gun is streaming in three different places. Prime, Netflix, and uh, Paramount. Netflix's so no ex- excuses. Yeah, it expires right at the end of this month. But here's the problem: two of them are in HD, whereas only one is in 4K, and that's the one on Paramount. We saw the, we saw half of the movie. I, I go and I switch to Paramount. Night and day, Zach. Gotta get that 4K. Ugh, it's not even close. Um, Hacks would probably be the main thing that I would recommend if you're at home streaming. But the last thing that I would give a recommendation to to stream or to buy. 
or to get the LP, that Vito, and drop it there and give it a listen. It's something that I'm waiting for music videos to be released for every single track. I had my brother over and it was 11 p.m. for us over here waiting for that song, for the album to drop from the new Kendrick Lamar. And then it just glitched, bro. It wasn't appearing on Spotify. It wasn't appearing on Apple Music. And I'm connected to the to the Sonos speakers. And then my brother's like, oh, snap, I got it here. But then he couldn't connect to the Sonos. We were almost about to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. I love it. This is storytelling at its finest. There are so many songs in here that I still felt were bangers, but I don't feel like a lot of people are going to get that like damn reaction because like damn begins with dna you know you got yeah. humble on that and i think a lot of yeah. people ride with those songs and they're like oh yeah uh you probably have like one you know in duckworth where you're really getting yeah. into storytelling and this one's like not nah, every, every couple of songs we're gonna do a storytelling song but i appreciated mm-hmm. that i think the song with like taylor page where they're going back and forth with each other very reminiscent mm. of kim by m is a song mm-hmm. that is not uh, just showcasing like relationships in the rawest form and how, you know, at any label that you would want, any adjective that you want to uh, talk about. But in terms of their performance together on that track, I want to see a video for this. I want to see a video for a bunch of these songs. Now that he has PG Lang, I feel like he will be making something for everything. I feel like that's his new vision. He doesn't have to wait for the label or the studio to tell him, ah, we don't have the budget for this. He's running the whole thing. And uh, I felt like this was a very... I'm trying to see. It's a very storytelling type of album. Yeah. You're sitting with this 100% for the lyrics and for... It's a very emotional album more than it is a uh, like a, a bangers type album. So Yeah, I I think this is an album that really benefits from getting to sit with it, getting to ruminate on it, getting to let the songs wash over you and work work their way through you and like revisit them again in a week and, and hear something new, right? Like, I don't think this is like damn in that you can hear Humble one time and be like, I'm going to just like nod my head aggressively at that song for the rest of my life. And, you know, there is like a certain pleasure in the 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 bumpability of a lot of those songs on uh, Damn and, and just how easy it is to revisit those jams. Um, I don't think that Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers is as as easy of an album to get into, and it's not an album that I know if I... I'm not as sure if I will ed- revisit it as much as some of my like favorite Kendrick stuff, but it does the stuff that I really respect and admire about Kendrick... Uh, to the, to the nth degree, right? Like he is a top level storyteller through his lyricism. It's a storybook he a right here. Top, he's a top level uh, in terms of the ways he is able to create something that is thematically challenging and like heartening while being, you know, something that you have to actually bring an intellectual capacity to, right? Like it's, these aren't, I don't think any of these songs are meant to be listened to and for you to have like a clear idea of how you, how you should feel about them. This is not a future album. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He wants this to be a little bit messier and I think he's intentionally taking up some some types of positions and t- some types of phrasing that maybe could feel regressive but it's it's done in the purpose of serving a character because he, that's what you're getting from these stories is lots of characters. So, I don't know. I I think I think there's a lot to to I think there's a lot to take in. I, I was saying to you before that I think this is more uh, like a Two Pimp a Butterfly-esque album. 100%. Maybe right now, I would say it's like 
my I want to say it's like my least favorite of the Kendrick albums, but only because I love his stuff so much. Mm -hmm. But it's also that it's new and it has I haven't had a chance to like really grow into a lot of the stuff though. Um, but to circle back again, man, Taylor Page, unreal. Like I I love that I she gets saw to that it place with her yeah. voice, where her voice cracks. And, mm. Nah, dude, that was like. That's a production. That's a performance on a track. Like, that goes beyond just being a song. Um, nah, I thought that there was a lot of incredible stuff on there. I agree with you. I feel like there is the storytelling side of him that's very much, uh, you know, it's all sprinkled throughout in different albums. But if you're a big fan of To Pimp a Butterfly, this is going to be right up your alley. If you're more of, uh, I want to say, Damn or Section 80, even uh, Good Kid Mad City. I think Good Kid Mad City had the perfect combination of what he's been able to do with all these uh, albums in one. But... I still really like it. I love, as he said, he chose himself. He's not your savior. He's he's there to do what he needs to do. Um, I just like it as another chapter in like, you know, when you have them all combined at the end, this was the point where he just yeah. decided to sit down and tell you a story. But, you know, you're also dealing with people who've been waiting five years. And I think he should follow it up with an album full of bangers or a bunch of features to remind people like Cole has, like Drake has. Hey, if we're the ones who y'all are always mentioning in the top three, then I, I got to go compete with these other people. I, I think in terms of an album, he's definitely gone against these other two. Connie, if you want to add him mm -hmm. in there. Um but they've been giving you a lot of like hits and bangers that people really want from him. And I think there's some in here. Uh, I really like Silent Hill. I really like, uh, I think N95 is pretty good. Uh, and I really like Father Time. But I think he needs to give people uh, a lot more DNAs and humbles, which is what they're wanting. And I think he could bring it. I think he could bring it. No more five so years, damn it. That's the thing that I think is another intriguing question is like how... What do you expect from Kendrick going forward? Because there are some people who think, like, this is maybe the last album we're getting from him. Or, I mean, I, I just feel like he's such an artist that I would be very surprised to not get more material from him in some capacity. But, but maybe that's not an album. I, sure. But I feel the break is over. And that's the last time we're going to get that big of a break from him. I hope. Um, I want to bring up just one last thing that I thought was a really interesting observation from the Musa Akwanga piece on uh, the Kendrick album. And he said that, uh, so while Stormzy sang, heavy is the head that wears the crown, he sounded like someone who was ultimately happy to wear the crown for a long time. Kendrick sounds as if he's almost desperate to remove it. And I think that's a really interesting observation that like Kendrick has been on that podium not for so savior. long. And, and is, has been so conflicted about that role and what is thrust upon him by, by being viewed that way. And he definitely sounds like somebody who is not, is, is tired of being held in that certain regard, at least in some capacity. It's beautiful, man. Uh, I'm going to keep listening yeah. to it. I'm going to be listening to it. And I can't wait for all of the uh, visual, visual accompaniments that come with it. Absolutely. Um, I guess, I mean, just quickly, I guess I'd throw in my picks for the Marmaduke. week are uh, <laughs> Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh, please not Marmaduke. Uh, I'll give another shout-out to Duel, a movie that I really enjoyed. Shout-out to Men, a movie that I'm excited to go check out. Uh, Julieta in the chat is mentioning that Everything Everywhere All at Once wow. is supposedly on VOD tomorrow. So That's crazy. if you haven't had the chance to catch one of the year's best Zach. movies, then it's going to be easier Zach. than ever. The Northman is out to buy right now on digital. Yeah, yeah, man. That's that's super depressing, man. I mean, I'm glad I'm going to watch it again, but I wanted that movie to make a lot more money than it did. 
Go watch those movies. Go, go watch rent them. those movies on VOD. Don't torrent them because they deserve your money. Go torrent other movies. Not, y'all not who have A24. A-list, y'all, y'all, y'all should have your A-list. And if you don't have a movie to check in, just check into those movies. Yeah. I don't know at this point, yeah. you know? Oh, man. Uh, what else is there? What else is there? Do we have anything else we need to hit before we wrap this uh, up? From all the other stuff? No, I think that's pretty much all of the stuff that we have in terms of the picks for the week. I don't know if there's any other big releases coming out. Um, yeah. I would say if you're interested in seeking out men, <laughs> seek out men. <laughs> Just know it's going to... However, Whatever that means to you. Whatever that means to you. Yeah. But no, I think that's pretty much it. All right, so that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V, as in the valet, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels, youtube.com slash show. I don't know how to do it on TikTok. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain uh, on Twitter, on letterbox on youtube how do i always forget what i'm on every single time but uh it's pretty much because i'm just going to be catching everything uh that's coming out in theaters and coming back here every week on the intercut podcast you can listen to every episode of the intercut podcast on itunes anchor spotify whatever your favorite podcatcher is i happen to like overcast i think that's it's a really solid one for for your listening needs and then also, if you're only listening to the audio podcast, check out the video feed on youtube.com slash where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekly Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday at 3 p.m. Yes, Eastern. And please leave us a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Shout-out to... I'm going to figure this out live. Shout-out to... Oh, man, do it. Do Shout it. Out to Russia, Russia. Shout out to the people in Russia who are watching <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. the Intercut podcast, Thank you for bro. That. Shout out to the people of Russia, not the not the governments of Russia. Uh, but yeah, I guess a shout out. And we're we're two star two five star reviews away from a hundred of them. So come on, we're we're so close. You got to push us over the edge there. Uh, thank all of you though who are listening to the show. Uh, follow our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. All of them are at intercut pod also check out patreon.com slash intercut pod to support the show for as little as one dollar a month and get access to early episode outlines and our monthly google hangouts as well as the private streams on our discord uh get updates throughout the week on our social media if you want to hear movie opinions other than on mondays and also make sure you check out our latest recorded episode the intercut awards where we look back on our favorites from 20 yes sir one the best production design the best song the best uh acting performances we went in on every category and even got a lot of help from the intercuties so shout out to all of you who sent in videos shout out harshall and anna and sean and josh and connor and uh shout out chase and i think i'm forgetting ricky and I hope I didn't forget anybody else. But if I did, shout out to you too. Uh, thank you so much for continuing to catch the show. Uh, and until next time, watch everything everywhere all at once. And don't torrent it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>